0: Welcome to the Garden Church podcast. We are um, looking at what it means to be the church today, and as as a as a community, we we call it the present future church. We're we're discussing what the future is going to look like. Um, in this present reality. And I I believe that God is looking for a church that's hungry for his presence, holy, pursuing holiness in in an age of compromise and, and complacency. God's looking for humility as the primary characteristic of leadership and the way into city transformation. That we will be given, people in this room will be given places at the table with kings and presidents and mayors and CEOs and leaders. Some of you will be those things. And God's looking for humility as the primary characteristic that you sustain your leadership role in those places to model the way of Jesus. Um, Today, I want to talk about releasing a movement. Um, As the present future church, we will release a movement. So we're going to talk about why. House churches, so that's it's a vision around house churches. But let me begin with with presenting kind of the the need for house churches. So um, the Western world is longing for community. There's some statistics out there. Listen to this: forty percent of all people in the Western world would identify themselves as lonely. Forty percent identify themselves as lonely. That's a twenty percent increase in the last thirty years. Um, in one wide-ranging study, the number of people who said they have no one to discuss important matters with more than doubled since 2007. That's a 25% 25% of our, uh, of our nation doesn't have anyone to discuss important matters with. And that increase, that doubling happened with the birth of the iPhone in 2007, since then. Isn't that ironic, don't you think? Um, it's funny, my yeah. Never mind. We're gonna keep going. Loneliness. Uh, there's science behind this. Loneliness is affecting our health. Loneliness is connected to um, depression and heart disease. It's connected. It it impairs our our immune function, and it increases inflammation. Loneliness. One uh, of the leading sociologists from MIT uh, who has been working on. Uh, the, the human condition and what does the world of technology have to do with the human condition? Her name's Sherry Turkle. In her book, Alone Together, she says this, we are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life all allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We rather text than talks, than talk. When technology engineers intimacy, relationship can be reduced to mere connections. And then easy connection becomes redefined as intimacy. Put otherwise, cyber intimacies slide into cyber solitudes. The church, um, so what we see is that the world is longing for community. Um, because the world knows that life is better in community. Would you agree? Life is just better when you have people with you for the journey. Um, there's an author, who, two authors who wrote Relational Soul and they're the they're psychologists who discovered the role that relationships play in our healing. And they say this, at the core of our being is this truth, we are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with another. And this is case in point. Um, This is why you could have a great job. You can make tons of money. Um, You can live Uh, in your dream house, but if your closest relationships are fractured, life is miserable. And this is true, and I've witnessed this over the years. Being a pastor of our church, I've watched this happen. People take off into their success, and then relationships decay, and their life becomes miserable. You see, I believe that the church is the solution to the modern world's greatest struggles and problems. The church is the solution to loneliness. Loneliness. And if you have a Bible, there's this passage of scripture. I just want to present some stuff to you. Um, kind of, these are just my random thoughts. So 2 Corinthians chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple of Bibles randomly hiding, so just go look for them. But otherwise, if you have a, a smartphone, you can download the Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse five. And we're gonna look at chapter se- or verse 17 briefly because I just want to show you something. You see, um, this problem matters to God. Because we, he made us out of his image, humanity. And he designed us to flourish in relationships with each other and him and ourself. And so this core issue that's probably the oldest problem in humanity, loneliness, is, is part of God's redemptive strategy. He's, he wants to redeem all things back to himself. So, so what is God's plan? Well, here is one of these clear, like if you're like, all right, what's God's will? And we always talk about it individually, but what's God's will? Well, this is his will. Look at it. Verse uh, 17, it says, therefore, uh, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the mini- ministry of reconciliation. So what reconciliation is about is bringing two parties together as one. So we are apart from God and, and through Jesus he brings us back together. And, he, and then he, it says that he gave us this ministry, the ministry of bringing people back to God, bringing people back together. Reconciliation is a beautiful word. Um, and it goes on It says that God all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God so be made right with God be in relationship with him God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So essentially what Paul's arguing here is God's great master plan is to reconcile all things back to himself. All people back to himself. And then how does he do this through the church? God's, in other passages of scripture, you read about the cosmic plan of God renewing and reconciling all things to himself, all things being the cosmos included, restoring creation back to its original place. And the way that he does this, the vehicle through which he wants to redeem creation is the church. In first, um, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter one, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter three, one of these Bible passages, um, Verse 10, it says, his intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose um, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church is the agent through which God chooses to accomplish his dream. And when I talk about church, I'm not talking about websites and buildings and institutions. I'm talking about you us, the people of God, the broken, petty, bitter, angry, fragile group of people that are in this room. Listen, like just the first half of the room, I guess, the rest of you are all good. God's strategy for renewing the cosmos is here, us. And when we talk about church, we're talking about people that believe that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead. God's strategy is not for the church to get you to come into this building, give some money in a bucket, and then go and live your life like it's ordinary and everything's gonna be peachy. God's inviting you where you are to renew creation and partner with him in reconciling people, healing the world's problems through your everyday ordinary life. This is what it means to be Christian, period. Period. Oh, I'm getting cheers for that already. I'm just warming up. <laughs> this is God's master plan that through the family of God, broken, ordinary college students, uneducated, extremely educated, poor and rich, every ethnicity, every tongue, every socioeconomic class using whatever distinction we possibly can to bring to unity together And then we just keep inviting everyone else in. And then we just keep going because it's not gonna be satisfied or fulfilled until everyone gets to hear this amazing, powerful truth that it doesn't matter what you've ever done. You can't possibly earn God's love and favor. It's gift, it's grace, it's given to you. Just say thank you and then join the movement. Join the movement. I don't even know. None of that was in this, so I'm just gonna keep, give me some more coffee. So what do we do? What do we do then? If that's the big picture, if that's the why, on earth as it is in heaven, reconciling all things, what do we do? Our job as the people of God then is to release this movement that we are in, not try to add people to our organization. Church, This has nothing to do with garden. We cannot make this about a brand or our finances. We have to make this a part of God's movement. So we are a part of a universal body of Christ that's around the world. And we have to be faithful to what God is asking of his church. So forget brands, forget Hillsong, Bethel, forget Park uh, Park Crest or whatever it is that you come from forget all of that whatever denomination we are part of the universal body of Christ and there are things required of us so for us as a church as we think uh, our leadership team has been thinking okay how do we faithfully lead people to where God has invited us in scripture to go we have to reject and commit to certain things so I want to share with you why house churches but first I got to share with you Uh, deeper convictions number one we are committed to multiplication not addition so a few years ago we started a night service because we thought that's what churches do you just add services that's what all the books teach us to do as churches That when you get to, this is already way too big to to not have a third service, okay? If a church is at 75% occupancy, you're too full, people don't want to come in, so add another service, and you just, that's what you do. You just keep adding services. Nothing wrong with adding services, except that that's addition. God spoke to us. We started a third service, and while the third service, our Sunday night, was going great, the Lord was speaking to me, saying, hey, if your vision became reality, would you even know what to do with all the people, if I actually showed up and you prepared in your plans for me to show up, good idea, right? Would you, would you be prepared or would you be relying on AV and sound and slides and venues and having enough money to support the professional pastors who are good at teaching or do you wanna be about multiplication? The second thing we committed to is discipleship. I realized that if you go after evangelism, you never get discipleship. But if you go after discipleship, real discipleship will always be evangelistic. So I was realizing like this whole thing that we, when you read scripture, which I like to read scripture, um, I realized that I was doing something based on a model that's been handed to me by the Christian culture machine. Because this is, it's so much easier to focus on what we can count than actually, wait, be like Jesus, like invest in twelve guys, like you are the son of God, you are like the man, God incarnate being. You should be, you should at least have a Twitter account, right, or a YouTube channel or something. You should focus there, but he doesn't. He could have. He could have been like other rabbis. He could have been like other famous philosophers, but he comes as a rabbi and chooses 12 and spends three and a half years with them and other people that will follow them and then leaves his movement after three and a half years to 120 people. We had well over 120 people after three years at the Garden Church. I'd like to think I was doing something better than Jesus, but how could that be? I wasn't, I was missing it. We, we love in the church to hit the bullseye on the wrong targets. So discipleship, we're committed to it. Number three, we have chosen, and this was probably the hardest thing for me, we have chosen to lay down our personal, cultural expectations of success in order to remain faithful to the commands found within the scriptures. I could talk about personal reasons why this is so hard. But this is where it gets down to brass tacks. And this is where I feel like most leaders want to give up in my situation as a lead pastor. Because it's way easier when culture says the gathering is where you define success. The, the, the tithes and offerings is where you count. Your book sales or, or whatever's next, you just climb that ladder. But what you see in scripture is something completely different. And so we are playing by a rule book that, that cultural Christianity gave us. We are trying to meet the expectations of the church rather than follow the biblical commands of Scripture. And we did this practice where it was quite hilarious and and heartbreaking where we just listed as a staff and elder team what people expect of church today. And I wanna put up these, this is from a couple years ago. This is what people expect. So we do this exercise together. Hey, what do people expect when they come to church? Some of you are new and you're grading us on these things. Number one, a coffee, parking, parking attendant, great worship music, a sound machine, a place for my kids to go. And we could even add a place where my kids can go that doesn't change every week. <laughs> With signs that tell me where to go. Now I think we should have those things. We are, we are at the um, mercy of this, this, this facility that we have. Lyrics on the screen, a projector, a building, a safe and clean, comfortable enviro- environment, Bible on the screen, large group for people to gather, cool stage design, comfortable seating, an hour and a half talk. In our context and culture, an hour and a half is a very long time other places that I've been to around the world, they just get started at three hours. Preacher's like, I remember going to India, and he's like, hey, how many churches do you have? I was like, oh, just the one. And he's like, oh, I was like, well, how many do you have? He's like, 15. Okay, cool. How long have you been doing this? He's like, oh, I've been doing this for four years. Yep, all right, cool, you're doing great. You know? <laughs> and they met in a room with 150 people that's the size of one of our classrooms, and it's hot. And people are putting rice and eggs in the offering bucket because that's all they have. That's their first fruits. And then someone got, um, received all this money and so as a gift to the church, they installed a ceiling fan. Which all of you are like, we should probably get in on that. We should get a ceiling. (laughs) 35 minute talk. I should feel good about myself, but a little bit of conviction. I love that, <laughs> like, don't be too serious, Darren, but give me a little bit. Signage, the ability to observe without commitment. I should be greeted. How many responses have we got? Nobody greeted me when I walked in. That's a big deal. Why did nobody greet? Well, one reason is nobody's here when, when you walked in because you're here on time. I mean, literally like worshiping the resurrected Jesus together once a week for an hour and a half. We will get there early for the previews at a movie, but we'll show up 15 minutes late to worship the resurrected Jesus Christ. I'm just talking about myself. I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> they have to have a ministry buffet. They have to, yeah, there's all these things. We, it's like if we didn't, if we're like, hey guys, we're done with kids ministry. Because really, parents, you are the key to their discipleship, not ministry. Because statistics say 92% of all these kids in our kids' ministry and youth group will not be a Christian by 18. 92%. The church is failing the next generation. Which, by the way, is why we're moving all of our stuff towards discipleship and trying to raise parents to disciple their kids. That's what we're trying to do. So we'll talk about that in the future. But here's the thing. Um, I wasn't even planning, this, planning for this to go very long, but I feel like we should sit here for a moment because I feel like there's some conviction with some humor, so it's a lighthearted conviction, so I feel like we're meeting the expectations. <laughs> what, are the, what does the Bible command of the church? Okay, so we've received complaints when we didn't have coffee. Good coffee, Good coffee true that. <laughs> I remember when we started our church, I would, I would decorate with Christmas lights around the railing, not here. We had like 10 people. And I would buy the Starbucks tumbler because all we needed was one when we started our church. Now it's like, what do we do? Do we have recreational coffee? Do we have Rose Park? Do we have some other type of new brand that's coming? Why isn't there poor over over here? <laughs> people get upset for lots of reasons. They do. And we talked about Yelp reviews last week. There's lots of reasons to talk about these things. But um, I have only been asked one time in my entire life as the lead pastor of this church, what is your strategy for discipleship? I love this question. I was like, yes, you get it. He happened to be discipled by Dallas Willard. So that was probably why (laughs) Dallas talks about that in his books. But here are the commands. And this is just not an exhaustive list. This is what we came up together came up with together love one another we should pray need uh, needs are met in the church it's led by elders it's led by the holy spirit it's filled with the spirit called to give an account for our lives to god not judging others give generously locally and globally bear each other's burdens everyone has a spiritual song i'm just li- i don't want to like overwhelm us everyone uses their spiritual gifts we live holy lives the commands are to forgive one another Uh, God's presence is there. We're ambassadors of Christ and ministers of reconciliation. We are commanded to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to forgive sins, to cast out demons and heal the sick, to love your neighbor as yourself. We're commanded to be unified and have unity. We're commanded to belong to each other as one family. So I guess the question is, what list do we want to pursue as a church? I'll tell you what we chose. The commands one. Because if we have to give an account before God on how our eldership led you in which direction, I hope that we get up there and Peter's like, hey, what, did you have hot coffee or cold coffee in the summer? What did you have? Did you have iced coffee? Oh, check, that doesn't count, that's a count against you. I hope that we lead you towards what Jesus invites us to, which is the kind of church that reflects what it means to really be human. So we wanna pursue this list together, which by the way is why we've chosen house churches because we feel like it's the most uh, effective way of multiplication, of discipleship, and fulfilling the commands of Scripture. We cannot possibly share, um, we cannot possibly all use our spiritual gifts in this environment. We can't possibly care for all of the burdens and bear the burdens in this room, in this environment. We have to have a vehicle that empowers the life of the church the way it was designed to be, and that is through house churches. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 28. This is a very familiar passage. We'll be done in just a few moments for those of you that want a 35-minute sermon. um, (laughs) I told you I preached 50. Um, Matthew 28, my wife just walked out. Look at that. Just like that. (laughs) Just like that. One bad joke away from losing my wife. until she comes back. <laughs> She's probably handling something. wait, okay, Matthew 28. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus has told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, hey, all authority in heaven. He didn't say hey. I added that. <laughs> <laughs> all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Now let me just pause because this Greek word or this phrase in Greek is so much more effective if you understand what it actually says. It, it sounds or it, it should be paraphrased. Therefore, in your going. It's not a, hey, now that you know this, you're going to go. It's not that, okay, some of you are called to the nations. No, in your already going okay, in in your going make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age so there's this passage it's the Great Commission all followers of Jesus are called to be disciples all followers of Jesus are called to in their going in their everyday life journey on the way make disciples of the nations that you're in in your going to work at Netflix, in your going to work at Long, Cal State Long Beach, in your going to uh, the park with your kids as a stay-at-home mom, make disciples of all nations. This is not for a select few that have been set apart for the nations. Every disciple has been set apart for all the nations. You all have this universal, universal commission to in your going make disciples, make um, disciples, and baptize them, immerse them in the Trinitarian reality, give them this whole perspective of this God-bathed universe. I'm quoting Dallas Willard, that's not me, I'm not that good. And then teach them to obey all of the commands of Jesus. And I will be with you as you do this. So this is our commission. This is our task. This is what it means to make disciples, that we have been given the keys of the kingdom to flourish in human history as the church to just do what Jesus did in our everyday ordinary life. It doesn't take education. It doesn't take a seminary degree. It takes a person that hears God's voice and obeys. That's it. And that will start a revolution again if we actually took it seriously, but there are some things preventing it. Like your time, because you're so busy. Like your phone, because you're so distracted. Like your feelings, because you're worried about what everyone else thinks of you. Like your insecurity, because you don't feel worthy enough when Jesus already made you worthy enough. When you don't feel resource enough, but the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead wants to give power to your body and life. How we doing, church? Okay, I'll just pause there and just say, so what is a house church? The why to the house church is this is the easiest way to be faithful to the commands of Jesus. House church is the primary environment for discipleship and life in the kingdom. Welcome back, babe. So so glad you're here. (laughs) So, The house church is uh, the primary environment for life in the kingdom and discipleship. It's the place where we flourish as a family of God and as followers of Jesus, where we learn to grow and use our spiritual gifts, where we become covenantal community on mission together, where we share resources, we share life and heart and meals together. It's where we talk about what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus. It's where we learn to bring life to others and use our gifts. It's the space that's intentional for expanding the kingdom of God each house church is led by a house church pastor we think that a pastor is the the word that's used um, to describe what leadership in the church looks like Um, it's a shepherd it's an overseer it's someone who's uh, leading people towards the way of Jesus they are absolutely imperfect in every way they're struggling with sin and they're struggling in their marriages if they're married and they're struggling with all the same things that everyone else has struggled with but they have chosen to step back in this moment to create space to help others follow Jesus along the way. And as, 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 as we just commission them, we are releasing them to steward the greatest resource at the Garden Church and that's you. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy mantle that they wear which is why we ask them to carry it Lightly and joyfully. Because we don't need intensity here. We need joy. Each house church creates space for simple things like prayer, worship, meals together, reading scripture, sharing resources, and learning to become family. Acts 2 says this about the church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Just side note. It mentions eating food twice in this passage. Uh, That's for me. Together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily of those being saved. So every house church um, is, we see this passage as the the raw form of what it means to do life together in the church. And so we see house churches as these simple spaces. They're not complex on purpose because they have to be able to multiply. But these spaces are simple places where you can pray together, read scripture together, worship God together. Um, You could uh, share meals and share resources, take care of each other's needs and walk through life together. This is the solution to Western world's problem of loneliness. The house church. And it's a space um, that we have intentionally made missional. The Lord added to their number daily. So anytime a house church closes, uh, it's not because Personally, I think they should never close, but that's a whole other discussion. My wife and I debate that all the time. Um, So do our teams, but sometimes you just can't facilitate the amount of people that are coming. But we want all of our house churches open because we want people to be added to the number daily and we want them to multiply. So we ask our house churches to multiply, and some of them have multiplied, some of them haven't, and we're facing a lot of reasons for that, why it's not working, but we, we see that as our vision that this is how we're gonna multiply discipleship here in Long Beach and beyond through house churches. So we do house churches because we wanna be faithful to scripture we do house churches because uh, the scripture tells us to make disciples the scripture also tells us a lot of other things about caring for each other and we need to do that together um, and so there's that's why we release house churches um, the greatest threat to our vision becoming reality I don't think is the enemy I actually think it's busyness the greatest threat to this vision of multiplication house church um, is not um, society and culture I think it's our priorities Like what happens when your kids have soccer practice at the night of your house church? Um, What we show in our culture is allegiance to the the sports, but what we have to learn is how to balance that. What is your greatest priority? Jesus makes it abundantly clear. It's the family of God must become your greatest allegiance. Um, And that's hard for our individual culture, which worships our individual selves, our, our individual priorities, our individual preferences, which we talked about last week. And so uh, the threats that are opposing this vision becoming reality are so heavy because we're so busy, we're so distracted, we have other priorities, and we have expectations of what community should look like. Which again, I talked about this last week. That because all of us have cultural expectations, previous church expectations, and personal desires for what we hope to get out of community, you're gonna just, it's just going to kill biblical community. Because the secret to biblical community is humility, considering others above yourself. And so I want to invite you to be a part of our church um, and join a house church this year. Commit. We're, we're creating house churches that are flexible and free, that have rhythms, and they have breaks in them. We're going to say that the house churches run over the course of the year and have summer breaks for the sake of leadership being renewed and um, re-energized but I want to invite you to commit to a house church for 10 months I said the word commitment I know that's that's a very dangerous word here but commit to to a community and stick it out um, so many of us we, we don't commit to anything and I want to invite you to commit to a house church this year because I believe that in this we will see um, lives change because it's going to it's going to heal it's going to heal the world Um, if we learn how to live in authentic community together as the church. So brothers and sisters, um, we do house churches, so join a house church. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.